going to tell a story. It's taken from the footprints in the sand, and I'm just kind of adapting it to myself, and uh, maybe you can relate to this, that uh, Christ and, and I were walking through the sand, and as we, we uh, walked along in the sand, we saw two sets of footprints, and, and Christ said, this is where you joined me as a little boy when you asked me to save you, and we began to walk together. And this is the day then that you were baptized later, realizing that you wanted to give a testimony to the world that you were in Christ, that I was walking with you. And we walked further, and he said, now this is a place where, where uh, you were at camp, and you gave your, uh, made a decision for Christ there at camp. And so uh, I looked, walked along further, watching these two sets of prints, and and this is a day that you were married, and this is a day that you had kids. And, and then uh, uh, all of a sudden, the, the tracks became just one set of tracks. And I asked, Lord, this is a, a terrible day. This was the day that I had to go on Facebook, uh, and I had to go alone. And here I am all by myself. And Christ said, no, look, look closer. Look at the prints in the sand. The prints are now twice as deep because during that time, I was carrying you. I don't know what kind of turmoil is in your life, but I imagine there will be, if that already hasn't hit, you will be anxious as I become anxious. And you may ask the question, God, where are you? Or maybe you will hear somebody ask you that is not a believer saying, where is God now? Where is God now? You probably asked that question. You have probably asked it. Maybe you've even said it out loud. Maybe, though, it was all by yourself. And so you ask, where are you, God, during this time? I've lost my job. I've lost my retirement. I've lost everything. Where are you? God. Where is God now? It's a popular question. Some people will say, well, my God would never allow anything like this to happen. My God would net, uh, never let these disasters happen. My God would not allow an economy to collapse. Uh, my God would not allow the injustices of this world, the disasters, the wars, the pandemics, no, that is true. Their God wouldn't. Because their God is a God that is serving them. That's the kind of God that most people want today, is a genie in the bottle that they can, they can get their wishes. And their God does that. They worship the God of entertainment or the God of fame or the God of uh, health or the God of riches. But these gods all revolve around them. And they, these gods served them. But that's not the God of the Bible. And that's not the God we need to fear, love, and respect. The God of the Bible, his goal is to make unbelievers, broken people, his children, and then to teach them or make them more like his son, Jesus Christ. Where is God now? He is doing that. He is trying to make 
broken people whole, and those that are whole, he's trying to make them more like Jesus Christ. Why? Because then we can become worshipers of God. The gods of this world worship man, take care of man, give them happiness. The God uh, that we have come to love, the God of the Bible, he deserves our glory. So he is making worshipers of him. And that's my desire today is that we might worship this God. So where is God now? When I was working at Arctic Enterprise through uh, seminary days down in Minneapolis, we had a supervisor, his name was Ray, and he would walk around and check on our work. He would look at the wells to make sure that they were right. He would look at that everything was going right. Why? For his good? No, not necessarily, but because he knew that later an inspector would be coming along, and he would be looking at my work, and if it was not done properly, he would take a red tag out of his pocket and he would poke a wire through the piece that I'd welded or the pieces and he would twist it on there and he'd walk away, left it with a red tag, saying, this is worthless. This needs to be redone. He was my supervisor. What is God doing now? Where is he now? He's supervising. What is he supervising? Well, four things I just want to mention. He is supervising our dying. That sounds kind of morbid, doesn't it? He's supervising our dying because God's word does say it's appointed unto men once to die. Yeah, we're going to die. For kids, that's hard to believe, but when you get older, you begin to realize we're going to die. It is appointed unto man once to die. After that comes the judgment, the decision where you go, where your soul will spend eternity in the uh, Adam and Eve broke this world. Because they broke this world, we will die. They disobeyed the command that God gave them to eat of the don't eat of this fruit. And they went ahead. They thought they would become as God. And that's what they wanted. Typical of us, we want to be God. We want to sit on the throne. And so they disobeyed God and broke the world. And now all creatures, all creation began to die from that day. And we experienced two things, corruption and condemnation. Two things that all of creation experiences because of man's sin. Now, corruption, that's the aging process. We begin to corrupt uh, after we are born. Uh, we, we spiral downward. The older we get, we recognize that. It's not just for us, but uh, if it's metal, it, it ends uh, in rust. If it is wood, it ends in rot. Uh, or for us, it ends in receding hairlines and rheumatism and ruin and eventually death. That's what takes place. That's why Jesus, in his Sermon on the Mount, says don't invest in the things where moth and rust uh, and, and decay enters in or thieves come in to steal, invest in something that lasts for eternity. So where is God? He's supervising our death, a broken world. Uh, Matthew 10, he describes this broken world of corruption. I want to read a few verses here, beginning with verse 28 of Matthew chapter 
10. And fear not them which kill the body, but are not able to kill the soul. Now, we've got all kinds of things out there trying to kill the body. And sometimes it's long-term, sometimes it's short-term. Sometimes it's uh, an enemy, or sometimes in a war, or sometimes it's a disease that takes you slowly. But lots of things, Satan himself can take the body, but he can't take the soul. So don't fear those that can kill the body, but are not able to kill the soul, but rather fear him which is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. That is God. He is the only one that determines that. And then he goes on, Are not two sparrows sold for a farthing, and one of them shall not fall to the ground without our Father? Even sparrows fall to the ground. This is the corruption that we see in the world today. But very hairs of your head are all numbered. Even those fall to the ground if you get old enough. Fear ye not, therefore, ye are of more value than many sparrows. Whosoever, therefore, shall confess me before men, him will I confess also before my Father which is in heaven. But whosoever shall deny me before men, him will I also deny before my Father which is in heaven. We live in a world of corruption. And God is supervising our corrupting or our dying. He does that. But we also experience condemnation. Now, and Romans chapter 8 describes this, this condemnation that, that uh, we experience, beginning there with verse 34. Who is he that condemneth? Well, it is Christ that died, yea, rather, it, that is risen again, who is even at the right hand of God. So Jesus condemns, but he says, who also maketh intercession for us? So he took our condemnation so that uh, if you trust Christ as your Savior, you no longer are condemned. That's why that chapter starts, there is therefore now, now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We were condemned, and you are condemned until you place your faith in Jesus Christ. Uh, we experience corruption, and uh, we have a supervisor that watches over us. We experience condemnation. We have a supervisor who actually took our place, took our condemnation. So that when Paul writes in 1 Thessalonians 5, 9, God has not appointed us to wrath. Why? Because Jesus took it for us. We die of diseases like all men, but not necessarily because of particular sin. We die because of the fall. But... For believers, the sting of death has been removed. Um, we were running with, and we were given hope. Uh, yesterday, talking about those that die uh, in the hospitals and seeing the difference between those that are believers and those that are not believers. And one of, our, one of the runners is a nurse. Uh, we call her Chris with a K, and, and uh, she... Uh, Describe to us people that they have seen die and the difference between families that have no hope and those that have the hope that comes through Jesus Christ. So where is God now? He's supervising our dying. Where is God now? He is supervising our growing. As believers, God's goal for us is to make us like his son Jesus. So sometimes he has to inflict 
pain, sickness on his people. And for us, it is a purifying effect, and that's what he calls it in scriptures. He wants to purify us uh, as with fire, and so it can be painful. Uh, But this is not a condemnation. This is God's mercy making us like his son. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, it said there were some there that uh, God even took home. Some he just had them get sick. Why? It got their attention. It helped them to understand that they were making choices that were not uh, like Jesus Christ would make. And so verse 29 says, For he that eateth and drinketh unworthily eateth and drinketh damnation to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this cause, harboring sin in your life, is what he's saying, for this cause many are weak and sickly among you, and some even sleep. This is God's mercy. He's helping us grow. If we will not grow after we become a believer, there are times when God says here, or Paul, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, says that uh, uh, some will even die because of the choices they are making are spiraling them down. And, And so God cuts them off before they sin anymore. And that is a blessing. Where is God now? Okay, he's, he's supervising our dying. He's supervising our growing. He's supervising his own judging. And he did that often by disease or by pestilence in the Old Testament especially. He did that with uh, Egypt when they, Egypt would not let Israel get, uh, leave the country. Then they went through the plagues, and the last was the death of the eldest son or eldest child in a household. And so God sometimes uses disease as judgment. Sometimes it's a particular judgment uh, upon sin. Uh, I know in Acts chapter 12, King Herod says uh, he makes a speech, and all the people say, ah, he's like God, he is God, he is God. And apparently King Herod thought they believed their, their message, and he thought, well, yeah, I must be a god And it tells us that immediately the worms infested his body and he died. Now, in my mind, I think of a cow that that had an injury in its eye. And so if you're eating lunch right now or if you're eating breakfast right now, you might want to mute this. But this cow injured its eye and and it got infected and the the, uh, flies lit on it and maggots began to to eat in that cow's head and eat that eye and all around. And I remember when we found this cow and brought her in that we put a a purple medicine. We just sloshed that purple medicine into that that eye socket and and all that decay and all those maggots that were there uh, to kill them. And so uh, that's how Herod died. I think, ah, what an awful way to go. But I'm amazed that there are many people in authority in our government and other governments, and I wonder, well, why doesn't God send lightning to judge them for what they just said? And it's only God's grace, I believe, that he spares them. Number four, where is God now? He's supervising his warnings. I think right now he is giving this entire world a warning. 
Now, there are times when various things happen into, in neighborhoods or in communities or uh, cities. But for this, as Steve mentioned, this is around the world. It isn't just here. I think what it is really is a thunderclap. That uh, I, I know that you hear the thunder and you, that's a warning. Hey, we've got better be careful. Apparently, lightning has struck someplace. And lightning has split the clouds. And the clouds come back together and causes this, this roll. We've got to be careful. I remember watching a soccer game uh, over uh, one of our kids' soccer games. And it began to rain. And it, it was clouded up. And we began to see lightning, and we began to hear thunder, and that was a warning. Gather up our chairs, put down the umbrellas. And I remember Adam was carrying some poles for, he had a tent set up. He was carrying some poles back to the car and running with them, and lightning struck, and his hair stood on end. It was a warning. I think God, right now, God is warning us. He is supervising his warnings to us. Um, what are the warnings for? Get us to change direction or get us to stop or get us to go. Get us repent. Change our actions. Change our attitudes. Now, uh, there are a lot of natural disasters that take place, floods and famines and locusts and tsunamis and diseases. And I believe they, they should be thunderclaps from God. Warnings from God. Get us to change our direction. Get the world to recognize that we're not in charge anymore. Who's in charge of this virus? Certainly not man. It's got to be God. And if it is God, then we better change our directions. We better repent lest we all likewise perish. Call people, people everywhere to repent because God is not in charge. I want to... Uh, Read some verses in Luke. In Luke chapter 13, Jesus answers this question for us and for his disciples. What's going on? Verse, uh, chapter 13, the first five verses. There were present at that season some who told him of the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. Came right in, some Galileans came in, or the soldiers came in and slaughtered these Galileans as they were offering their sacrifices right into the church or into the temple. And Jesus answering said unto them, Suppose ye that these Galileans were sinners above all the Galileans because they suffered such things? I tell you, no. But except ye repent, ye shall all likewise perish. This is a warning, not for those Galileans. They're gone. They're dead. It's a warning to those that are still alive to repent. And verse 4, or those 18 upon whom the tower of Siloam fell and slew them, think ye that they were sinners above all men that dwelt in Jerusalem? Apparently this tower fell over, killed 18 people. Jesus said, I tell you, no. They were, uh, it wasn't about their sin, that they experienced, it was about a warning. But except ye repent, ye shall all likewise perish. I think today God is supervising his warnings. And there, right now, there couldn't be a greater warning for us to call us back to him. The coronavirus is a thunderclap. Mark Graham left a message on my phone and said, Pastor, 
It has never been easier to witness for Jesus Christ than it is right now. Everybody is asking me, what is going to happen? What's, uh, how are we, go- we are going to survive this? And he said, it's never been easier to share Jesus Christ with those around me. This is a thunderclap. This is a warning that God is giving us. He's given us mercy. He's given us a few more days before we might all perish, maybe a few more years, maybe a lot of years. But this is a thunderclap warning us about this. Uh, John chapter 16, verse 33 says, These things have I spoken unto you, that in me ye might have peace. You want to have peace? In the world ye shall have tribulation. Yeah. We will have tribulation. But he's right. He's, he's talking to his disciples. But be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. Tom Kinsley sent me something on on uh, internet that said say, a, a conversation. Satan says, I will cause anxiety, fear, and panic. I will shut down businesses, schools, places of worship, and sports events. I will cause economic turmoil. Jesus says, I will bring together neighbors, restore family units, I will bring dinner back to the kitchen table. I will help people slow down their lives and appreciate what really matters. I will teach my children to rely on me and not the world. Jesus said, I will teach my children to trust me and not their money and material resources. I thought that was excellent. Where is God now? God is in charge. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for the the technology that allows us to share with others, maybe around the world, just to encourage one another. Lord, that is my desire this morning, that we might be encouraged in Jesus Christ, not see this as a, a real problem, but a great opportunity to share Jesus with those around us, what's really important, not our own health, not our own finances, not our own retirements, but eternal life for those that will place their faith, their trust in Jesus. So thank you for this opportunity. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.